God bless you, Paul. Pastor Vanita just said, it is time. And she didn't know it. But it is time is my first line. It is time. Will you say that phrase? Say it right now. It is time. Say it again. It is time. One more time. It is time. It is time for a victory. Amen. It's time for a victory. It's time for a conquest. Not something that puts people down, but something that raises people up. Not a victory that comes at the expense of others, but comes out of the glorious riches of God. It is time for a victory. Are you ready for a victory? Are you ready for a victory? Now, before you answer, consider that this time is given over to our study in the scriptures And our study in the scriptures is currently on the cycle in Judges. We're going to talk about Gideon today, once again. A man we've been looking at in recent weeks. And today, it is time to talk about the conquest of Gideon. The victory which Gideon achieved, not by his own might or power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. And it was time for Gideon to rouse the people of a weary nation who were in the midst of season after season of defeat and time after time of destruction and loss. It was time for Gideon to come to them as the voice of the Lord, as the sword of the Lord, to raise up a standard, to say, come back to God and let God bring back to you your nation." Let God bring back to you your position. Let God bring you into the place of victory. But the question that all of them had to consider is the question that I'm posing to you today, to myself today, which is, are you ready for a victory? Now, we may say we're hungry for it. We may say that we are in the mood for it. But listen carefully. The question says, are you ready for it? Because God had no doubt about the victory. Because the victory was one that was like all good things, like all God things, born of God, which means born of faith. And God has faith. You may not think of God in those terms, but friends, God is the author of faith. He is the source of faith. If you feel like, I'd like to have more faith You know who to go to? Go to God. God will give you faith. James says it. If you lack something, ask God for it. If you lack wisdom, ask God for wisdom. You know there is nothing wiser than having faith in the Lord. Faith in the Lord never disappoints. Sometimes we may feel disappointed. Sometimes we may be disappointed because what we were looking for, what we were hoping for, wasn't the victory that God had in mind. But I'll tell you this, faith is never disappointed because faith is seeing the things that God does, believing the things that God does, not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. And so the question is, are you prepared for what God wants to do? Because God wants to give you a victory. If you're willing to believe that, even just by faith, say right now, God wants to give me a victory. Say it. God God wants wants to give me a victory. But now you and I have to be careful to consider that the victory that God wants to give us may not be the victory that we want to get. It may be. It may not be. But along the way, you can almost be certain of this. Whether it is or is not what you are expecting or wanting, it is good if it is from God. And if it is from God, it will often involve you having to take steps that you don't feel ready to make. Isn't that the story of Gideon? In this passage in Gideon's life, what I am calling Gideon's conquest, when there is this signal phrase, a sword for the Lord, that is used by Gideon and about Gideon. In other words, in this part of Gideon's story, when he really is revealed as the hero that God said he was in the beginning, we're going to see that God asks Gideon to take steps that don't make any sense. 
Less is more. You remember that phrase? It's not a phrase that you would usually use when you're going into battle. Less may be more in lots of situations, but less isn't more when you're going to face more enemies. When you're going onto a battlefield, more is more, and less is worse. But in this particular battle, what God wants to make clear is, I am more. And I want you to know, says the Lord, that this victory is not your victory, but my victory through you, for you, in you. And so I'm going to break you down in order to build up my name. Not because God is a glory hog. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. What God wants to show is, as you are broken, my light within you is revealed. As your pride is broken and you come to me in humility, I will fill you with my strength. As your weakness reveals my strength, your life will be a light to the world. And my word will be in you. And my word is a sword, says the Lord. And it pierces and cuts through everything, revealing the innermost thing. So are you ready for a victory? Because a victory begins by looking within, by seeing who you really are, not according to your own sight or what the world says, bad or good, but in the eyes of God. Who are you in God's eyes? You might be afraid to think that way because you might think that you don't measure up. Or maybe you don't think that way because you figure it's been answered. God loves me. I know it. But if you hold that too casually, if you consider that too lightly, it's easy to live with that awareness without being infiltrated by the power of its implication without allowing the power of God's love to transform who you are. Because no matter where you're at today, no matter where I'm at today, all of us have something in common. God sees more than we do. He sees more in us. He sees more out ahead for us. He sees more that he wants to do through us. And he's ready to do it. But are you? Am I? Are we ready for the victory that God wants to bring if we will be willing to let ourselves be broken and allow our inner part to become more available to God and more aware in our own mind? Gideon is someone who shows us what it means to be called by God. And while it's exciting, and full of powerful promise, it's also very challenging and full of trials and tests. My personal question to you today is, what does Jesus want you to overcome in your life today and purely through your reliance on him? Let me make clear that I'm not saying that you should go home from hearing this message, or if you're already at home because you're streaming with us online, that you just go lie down, pull the curtains, and wait. I'm ready for a victory, and this is how I prepare. Do it, God. Just let it wash over me like a flood. Well, God did flood the world like that once, and the people who just sat back and waited for it to happen, it didn't end well for them. But there was someone who was ready to hear from God. And God posed the question to that person, not necessarily in these terms, but believe me, this is the the idea. God comes to Noah and says, are you ready for a victory? I am going to cleanse the earth, and through you, I'm going to preserve the life that I've made, but you're going to have to rely on me. But I'll tell you what to do. I'll tell you how to build the ark, and I'll tell you what to put in it. Yes, you're going to become ridiculous in the eyes of your neighbors, and yes, you're going to see things that are not easy to see and experience things that are not easy to experience. But in the end, you will be preserved and through you, my purpose for life on earth will continue. We should all give thanks, not only to God, but to Noah, because we're here because of Noah's faithfulness. And Noah was faithful because of God's faithfulness. 
Now, what is it that Jesus wants you to overcome today, but it's going to involve you taking steps, building things, taking action, and yet every step along the way, everything that you do has got to be guided by his word, by his spirit, and done in the community of his body. So it isn't just sitting back and saying, God, do everything for me, but it is recognizing I can't do anything of myself. Remember, Jesus said that. On your own, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me and I abide in you, says Jesus, you will bear much fruit. What is it that is keeping you from being fruitful? You say, well, it's COVID. No, because the victory over that is in the Lord. You say, well, it's the political climate of our culture. No, because the answer for that is in the Lord. You say, it's my relationship, you know, my wife or my husband, the way that they act. No, because you're not in control of your wife or your husband. You're in control of you. What God wants to deal with in you is not how they act, but how you act and react. God can deal with them, but he's talking to you today about you. You say, it's my parent, it's my child, it's my sibling, it's my boss, it's my worker. Whatever the situation or circumstance, I don't have enough in my bank account. I don't have enough opportunity. I don't have what I need in order to do what I need to do. Listen, God has everything that you need for good and godly living. What is it that he wants to bring to your attention today and say, this is where I have a conquest for you to make. This is what I want you to overcome in me. I hope that while I've been speaking, you've been thinking, because I'd really like you to have an answer to this. I don't think there's anyone within the sound of my voice who doesn't have a potential answer for this. That is to say, it's a question that applies to everyone. There shouldn't be anyone that says, well, nothing. Jesus just says, smooth sailing to me. No, you're not listening closely enough. I promise you he's got something more than that to say. Now, there may be people who would say, I have 50 things. And that could be true. Which one is at the top of his list? It's probably the one that's at the bottom of yours. Because you think, that's the last one I want to deal with. Usually, the last one I want to deal with is the first one that Jesus wants to deal with. Have you ever had that experience? You think, God, there's, I know there's several things that you and I should really be working on in me. But let's start with these. And God says, no, let's get rid of that. That's easy stuff. This is what I want to deal with. This thing down here, hidden beneath the pile of clothes and boxes. This is the thing. Let's deal with this. As I'm speaking to you today about Gideon, let's be thinking about ourselves. Not in a selfish way, but in a, an aware, conscious way. Let's be open to what the Lord wants to speak to us today. Lord, we open our hearts and our minds, our ears to your word today. Hearing this ancient story of the man that you called mighty, courageous, but also, Lord, desiring to hear what you have to say to us today, that where we are afraid, you would give us courage, that where we are blind, you would give us sight, that where we are bound, you would free us. That where we are sick, you would heal us. That where we are confused, you would guide us. That where we are excited, Lord, you would encourage us. That where we are bound, Lord, you would direct us. That the direction we're going in wouldn't just be by our own steps, but by your guidance. These things we ask, believing, Lord, that you provide them to those who seek you for them. And in fact, we seek them from you only because you have called us to do so. And so as we seek, we also praise your name and believe by faith that this prayer is answered in your power. Amen. Amen. Let's talk a little bit about Gideon because we have been studying him, but maybe you haven't been with us. And you can always go back and watch those messages earlier on our YouTube channel or whatever, or on our website. But 
even if you've been hearing them, you might need a little refresher. We had a wonderful message last week. I was so incredibly blessed by Pastor Henji's message last week. It really moved me and fed me and encouraged me in a season when I really needed it. If you haven't heard that message, I encourage you to, to go back and listen to it because it in many ways applies uh, to the story of Gideon that we're studying and to the story that the Lord wants to be writing in your life right now. But Gideon is the man of the hour and it's time to talk about him. The mighty man of valor is what the angel of the Lord, I suggest to you that this appearance of God that is called the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is none other than Jesus Christ himself, who is eternal God. So even before he was born as a baby in Bethlehem, he is appearing in the legacy, the history of humanity at various points in the Old Testament. These are referred to as Christophanes. And uh, when you see this title of the angel of the Lord, who is not just your run-of-the-mill angel, if such a thing can be said to exist, but actually speaks as the Lord and receives worship as the Lord. This is Jesus Christ. And he encounters Gideon early on in, an, in a time when Gideon and all of his people are facing um, these recurring assaults from the Midianites and other uh, uh, marauders from the southeastern uh, desert regions who routinely come into Israel, where the land is more lush, where there is livestock, where there is grain, where there are figs and olives and olive oil and grapes and wine. And they take these things because the people who have been given over uh, to idolatry have been spiritually weakened and their spiritual weakness has amounted to an, an actual material weakness. So they're afraid of these marauders, the Midianites and others that are aligned with them. And the Midianites use force and power. And the Israelites are not warriors at this point. They are farmers by and large. And so these farmers are reaping the rewards of the land of milk and honey and then losing those rewards to these enemies that surround them. And Gideon is a man who is in the midst of, uh, of sort of reflecting that very reality when the Lord first encounters him in Judges chapter 6, or that is to say, when he first encounters the Lord. I, I guess that's the better way to put it. When the angel of the Lord finds him, Gideon is hunkered down, as you'll remember, in the middle of a wine press, which is an odd place to be doing what he's doing, which is threshing wheat. And the implication is he's likely trying to hide out. He's under the boughs of, a, of an overhanging tree in this wine press that is carved probably out of stone. And it affords him walls and cover so that no marauders will see him in there. And he's trying to thresh the wheat in secret so that no one steals it. It's a very sort of um, fearful man that you would see depicted in that image. And yet when the angel of the Lord, when Christ Jesus sees him, he says, Hail, mighty man of valor. And so this, this begins the interesting dichotomy of Gideon, which is that Gideon is a person of fear who sees himself as the least, as the smallest. He's young in his household. He's a part of a tribe that isn't impressive. And he is saying to the Lord, why would you speak to me this way, calling me a valiant warrior? And by the way, why have you abandoned us? But what the angel of the Lord makes it clear to him is that in fact, in returning to God, God will restore their fortunes. By the way, you know that one of my um, projects, one of my goals as a pastor is to keep us mindful of the, the annual cycle of the year in the perspective of the scriptures, and particularly the, the Hebrew calendar. Uh, you may be aware that Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, the Jewish New Year, just occurred at the beginning of this uh, week that has just concluded. And in the week upcoming, there will be Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. These two uh, biblically mandated celebrations, holy days, high holy days, that come out of the Old Testament scripture are the beginning of the civic year in Judaism. These were events that would have been central in the life of Jesus every year that he lived on earth. And they are still valid and valuable in the heart of God, in the mind of Christ, and therefore important, I think, for us as the body of Christ to remember. The days that occur between Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, and Yom Kippur, the annual Day of Atonement, a day of repentance, are called days of awe. 
There are days in which I think you could really say there's this kind of question that comes from God each year to his people. Are you ready for a victory? Are you ready for a new year and for what I have destined for you in it? First, what must be dealt with is all the junk that has accrued over the last year. It's a time to look within with reverence, with fear, with repentance. And the Sabbath that occurs between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is a Sabbath that is known as the Sabbath of return in Judaism. Now that would be Saturday in the Jewish calendar, but Sunday, the Lord's Day, is a Sabbath day for us in the Christian context. Today is a day of return. It's a day in the middle of a period in which you and I are called by the Lord to consider our lives and to consider what he wants to do in our lives in the year ahead. And it's a day in which it's good to be reminded, come back to God. That's really the message that, that Christ has for Gideon, for Gideon to give to his people. In other words, what the Lord is speaking to you today, get this now, is about more than just you. Think about this. I talked about Noah earlier, and I said that all of us are living and breathing because of Noah. Now, you might have a hard time believing that, but that's the biblical record. It's a record that Jesus himself quoted, so I don't shy away from relying upon it. I believe it's true that because of the faith of people like Noah and Abraham and Israel himself, Jacob, because of the faith of people like Joseph and Mary, you and I are alive today and have the hope of eternity alive within us today. What if any one of those people had simply decided not to believe, not to obey? Well, let me tell you something, and it's probably not surprising to you. They did not believe and they did not obey at various times because all of us have and all of us do. But there are key moments when you and I face a decision and there's a real victory that is there to be won or lost. And it matters to us. But from God's perspective, what God is constantly trying to awaken us to is it matters more than just that. It's about more than just you. God wants your victory to be someone else's too. Amen. He wants to allow your victory to expand like ripples in a pond. Amen. And at the same time, you need to be aware that if blessing can multiply out of you that way because of God, then turning away from God, which brings the curse of awayness from God, also multiplies out. So you've got to decide what's being multiplied in you. Because there's no one who's just inert. You might think your life is in neutral, but I guarantee you that either blessing or cursing is being magnified in your life. And what Jesus wants us to do is to allow him to magnify blessing, not only to us, but through us. And it calls for courage. And the way that you and I have courage is not from somehow digging down within ourselves to find it, but opening ourselves up to the Lord who gives it. So that when he sees you and says over you, mighty man, mighty woman of courage, he's not just saying it as a reflection, he's saying it as a revelation. And it becomes true in you as you hear the creative word of God. That's Gideon's inspiration to us. And it's a reminder that all along the way, Gideon is able to proceed because he's had this encounter with God and it wasn't just a one-time memory, it's an ongoing relationship. We've seen that relationship in the dynamics of its progress in his life. The initial call, which we've discussed. Not only his meeting with the Lord, but how his meeting with the Lord really reveals that God has had a plan for him all along. The very name Gideon means in Hebrew, cutter or hewer. Someone who chops down or chops apart. Uh, it, it's a working man's name, but it comes to have spiritual implications. In fact, the very first time that the root of Gideon's name, which is Gadah in Hebrew, is used in the, in the Bible, 
It's used in the book of Deuteronomy in that wonderful sermon of Moses that summarizes everything that God has said and given to his people in their covenant relationship in the wilderness as they are being prepared for the promised land. And there in Deuteronomy 7 and in 12, this root of Gideon's name is used to refer to cutting down idols. The key problem, not just of the people of Israel, but of all people today. Idolatry was the problem from the beginning in the garden. They listened to the voice of the serpent rather than the spirit. And they believed what the serpent said, which was a lie, rather than relying on the truth of the Lord. And they acted in that belief. That's idolatry and evil and disobedience and sin and death. And from there it's flowed onward and onward. And every generation faces the same struggle. Will we believe that God exists and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him? Will we believe in his word and live according to what it says, uh, reliant upon him? Or will we go our own way? Because when we go our own way, we go the way of idolatry. And idolatry brings death. But there is a call from God that says, return to me, cut down the idols, and I will raise you up. And that's the cycle that we see over and over again in Judges. The people get complacent, they turn away from God, and they turn to other ideas and other priorities and other idols, the idols of their enemies, and those enemies overtake them, the people. Until finally, in their point of despair, they call on the Lord, and in the book of Judges, the Lord anoints a deliverer. He appoints a judge to bring them out of bondage and into peace. But as peace persists, the people once again go wayward and astray and the cycle returns. It's a cycle you and I can recognize. We've talked about this several times in this series. That there are all kinds of influences of cultural pressures around us. All kinds of internal interests that we might have. It's easy to consider the things of the Lord as just old traditions. When Pastor Vernita was talking about our upcoming PSOM class, in which we are um, studying the fundamentals of the faith, you might say, well, you know, I was raised a Christian. I know the fundamentals of faith. Maybe you went through catechism and you say, I know all of that. But if it's routine to you, if it seems cheap to you, I guarantee you, you're not aware of all the vitality of the fundamentals of faith. Are you able to explain why you believe what you believe? Is there a joy that emanates from you even in times of hardship that make others interested to know how is it that you can be encouraged when your circumstances are so difficult? And how would anyone even have that question unless the Lord allowed you to go through circumstances that revealed that? And when those times come, then are you ready to give an explanation for the joy and the hope that is in you? Don't become apathetic about the things of the Lord. Don't become apathetic about reading the word. Too many of us will say, you know, I, I, I want to hear from God and I want to do the God things, but when I read the Bible, I just get bored. Well, stop getting bored and get into it. It's not boring. Do you know there's a lot of sex in this book? Bloody violence and gore. If that's what keys you in, then let that bring you in. I'm not saying that it's some kind of purient, you know, uh, rag, but it's not boring. Amen. There's all kinds of intrigue. There's political analysis. There's real history. There are battles. There are passionate love affairs. There are very tender stories of people in times of trial and hardship, of family and reunions. Everything that you can think of, economic wisdom, practical wisdom. There's even stuff in here that deals with how do you tend to your body and how do you take good care of yourself. There's all kinds of interesting elements to the word of God. If you're bored by it, find a way to get excited. And maybe the best way would be to begin by praying to God. Give me a hunger for your word. Yeah. Give me wisdom for understanding it. And also, if you don't really know, well, how do you read the Bible? Where should you start? How do you interpret it? That's why we have things like praise school and ministry. That's why we have cell groups and Bible study groups. That's why we have a church community so that we can build each other up on our most holy faith. Get into prayer. Prayer is an exciting project. Prayer is an incredible enterprise. Praying every day is not a drudgery. It is, in fact, an, an, an amazing way to be resourced 
invigorated. And there are times when you face things in life where prayer is all you've got. I've had some days like that recently where no one had the answers and there are no answers and there's no solution and you haven't the strength to carry it one more minute, but you can pray and the Lord is there. And even if sometimes you don't feel that he's there, by faith you can know that he's there. In fact, I think there's somebody out there right now who has felt like I've called on God and I've called on God and I've called on God and he's just not there. And I want you to know right now, I'm saying this so that you can hear him say to you, I've been there every time. I've been there every time. Don't feel badly that you couldn't feel him. Just know you're not always able to feel what he's doing. You're not always able to see and to hear, but he wants you to. He wants you to know him better. But are you ready for that victory? Because there's a brokenness that comes first before the light of the Lord can shine through. Are you willing to let him break you so that he can put you back together? Are you willing to let him in to the place of your need? If you are, you'll find him there. He's waiting for you. But too many of us are more interested in indulging our carnal appetites or our selfishness or our need to control. And pride rises up in us. And all of these things they tend to reinforce a pattern of idolatry. It's not some ancient thing alone. It's very modern, very personal. Gideon's call was to confront that, to confront it in himself, in his community, in his nation, and to confront it in a way in which he would have a victory over it, the Lord's victory. But Gideon also was confused by this call because it meant cutting down the idols that his own father had raised up. It meant coming against the traditions and standards of his community. And he was considered a a favored son in that community. So to turn against those things was not only dangerous, it literally put his life at risk, but it also was disorienting. Who am I and what then do I believe? Gideon really had to be broken down to his base and built up again by God. He had to demonstrate that he was willing to trust God. And we saw in the story of the fleece that he put on the ground when the Lord was calling him to lead his people into battle, that Gideon was not testing God as though he weren't sure whether God was there or not, but Gideon was sincerely, earnestly desiring to be led by God in a way in which he knew with confidence he could lead others. It was a diligent sense of responsibility. If I'm going to go out there and say to others that you're speaking to me, I want to be sure that I'm hearing from you. And so in the cutting down of idols, there's a raising up of the Lord. There's a strengthening of reliance upon God. That's what reading the Bible is about. That's what praying is about. That's what coming and worshiping together is about, being a part of the service. That's what it's about. It's about saying, God, I want you to order my life. I want you to to guide me. I want to hear from you. I need to hear from you. And I'm, I'm willing to be directed by you, to stop one thing and start another, to put one thing down and lift up another. I'm willing to be changed by you. You're the Lord of my life. It's making God, God. Not that you can make him God, but recognizing that he is and recognizing him as God over your life. There's a lot of confusion in each of our lives and lots of confusion in our world. The answer is Jesus. Jesus is not confused. He will guide you. You might be surprised at the things that he says, but you have to be willing to trust by faith. And when you do, there's a victory. Gideon, who was called to cut down the idols, is now being led to cut down his enemy. And in chapter 7 of Judges, That victory is going to come, but it comes a curious way. Because before Gideon will cut down the enemy, he'll fulfill his name in a different sense. He'll cut down his army. Less is more. God is going to say, you have too many men with you. The chances are that these men will be proud. And pride is one of the idols that we're tearing down. So you can't raise up that pride. You've got to cut down your strength so that I can demonstrate my strength through your weakness. And so there's a series of tests that God is going to give Gideon in order to see who is supposed to be with him. There's a sense that there's a a kind of a destined cadre 
of men, just a small battalion, from 32,000 to 300. That's an enormous reduction. And that's when the Lord says, yes, 300 is just small enough to show that there's no way that 300 men could face off against thousands. Why do you suppose they had 32,000 men? Because there's obviously tens of thousands that they're going to be facing. But the Lord wants to make it clear that it's Yahweh, the, the great I am, the God of Israel, who's the God of all the earth. And he also is showing not only Gideon and his people, but you and I, that the real victory comes through faith. It's time for a victory. Are you ready for a victory? Preparation for victory is faith. Amen. Have faith, live by faith. Receive faith and act by faith. It's faith or flesh. Because they're at odds with each other. Flesh is the enemy. That is not to say that your physical body is the enemy. But when I say flesh, I'm using it in the biblical sense. That is, the spirit of the world and the spirit of selfishness and self-interest that's natural to each one of us in our fallen nature. That's the fleshly carnal way. The way that says, I'll believe it when I see it. And I can only trust what I can feel. And I've got to grab everything that I want. That's all flesh. The way of faith is, I don't need to see it in order to believe it if God has said it. The way of faith is, I'll be guided by God. I'll take the step and then he'll provide the path. The way of faith is by and in the spirit. And that's where victory is. If you are ready for a victory today, it means you've got to live by faith. No more living by flesh. And yet that's a decision that you and I have to make every day. And there's going to be ways in which God says to you, I want you to weaken your flesh in order to strengthen your faith. Jesus put it this way. If you're going to follow me, follow me to the cross. Every day, pick up your cross. Die to the flesh and live by the Spirit. That's where victory is. That's where conquest happens. That's where Christ is revealed. Through tests and trumpets and torches. Three parts of the chapter, broken down about roughly uh, equivalently in the first two sections and then a small section in the third. The tests that I mentioned are an opportunity for God to reveal to Gideon how it is that he's going to know which small number of these men are to, be, are to remain with him. But it's also a test of Gideon's faith. It's God giving Gideon the opportunity to proceed by faith. It's God making it clear to Gideon, you're not going to win this victory by having everything that you think you need. Yeah. I, I don't know what the parallel is in your life, but there's lots of times where we can face something and we think, if I'm going to face that, if I'm going to face that literal test, maybe in school, or if I'm going to face this job interview, or, or I'm going to face a certain challenge, whether it's athletic or professional, whatever the case may be, I want to have all this stuff with me. I want to have all my ducks in a row. I want to have everything prepared. And there might be times where God just says to you, you know, you don't need that. Or even if you have it, get rid of it. How about if you say, the Lord's been so good to me. You know, I remember the time when I couldn't pay my bills and now I've got enough to cover my bills and to save and I've got money stored up. And what if God says to you, I want you to give a bunch of that away? You say, well, God wouldn't do that because God likes somebody who's responsible and wise and a planner. He does. Yes, he does. But God, after all, can come to you and say about anything, give that away. And if there's something that God could come to you and say, give that away, some material thing, some amount of money or some material possession, and God could say, I want you to give that away, and you think, I don't want to give it away, guess what that is? It's an idol. Because it's more important to you than God. But imagine Jesus coming to you face to face in all of his glory. Have you ever met anyone wealthier than that? Than God, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who made the thousand hills and millions more like them, who owns every glittering star in the sky, and that doesn't even begin to describe the glory of his wealth, his strength and might who formed everything. This being comes to you and says, I want you to give away. What? What could he possibly say that is anything compared to what he has to offer you? Because what Jesus says is, everything that I am and everything that I have is yours. 
He's already given it away. What could you say to God? What could you ask him to give for you? God, I want you to give your very life. He's done it. How? We can't even imagine. I can't even describe or explain except to say Christ Jesus hung on the cross for you to show you there's nothing more valuable to him than you. But is there something more valuable to you than him? That's the idol. And the tests come to make it clear because it's easy to live in a way where you think, that doesn't matter that much to me. Well, if it doesn't, give it away. Let it go. I, I think, you know, you say, I worked very hard to earn those letters after my name, and it's only appropriate that I use them. I'm sure that's true. But what if God said, in this correspondence, I want you to erase that. Don't put that MD or that PhD or that BA or that MA or whatever it is. Don't, don't mention that. What about in a conversation where you have the best story? It's the one that'll beat everybody else's. And God says, just sit on that one tonight. Don't share it in this setting. But, oh, it's so good. Now, you would say, well, why would God do that? I don't know why. You may not know why. The question is, if he says it, will you do it? Maybe there's a story you don't want to share. The story of how you failed and somebody else is telling you about how they failed and you think, I did that too, but I ain't talking about it right now because, you know, right now it's you, not me. And God says, share that. Oh, you got a speeding ticket? I had four. Well, why, why, why do I have to share that, Lord? Oh, you had a problem with debt? Yeah, I went through a credit crisis too. Well, I don't want to talk about that. Oh, you've been divorced? I'm divorced too. Whatever the thing might be. It's something that you don't want to share, but the Lord says, in this moment, it's right and good that you should. Are you willing to do it? Tests. And when you respond to the tests well, you know what happens? There's rejoicing in heaven. There's trumpets that sound. Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, the Jewish New Year, is the Feast of Trumpets. The trumpet, the blowing of the ram's horn, which called people to assemble. It was the voice of God going out to the people. Hey, wake up! Something's happening. You need to know about it. Are you ready for a victory? Are you ready for battle? Are you ready for worship? You know why it's the ram's horn? Because once on a mountain, God said to a man, I want you to give me what's most precious to you. The son that I gave you, sacrifice him to me. And Abraham must have thought, why do you test me this way? And Isaac must have thought, why would God want me to be used this way? But they went up onto Mount Moriah. And then at the last moment, God said, stop. The angel of the Lord. I was testing you, Abraham, to see if you were willing to give me what was most valuable to you. Don't harm the boy. There's a ram in the bush caught by its horns in the thorns. And the horn became a way of describing the call of God and the provision of God. Because on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided for you. When you give yourself to God, God will give you what you need. The sounding of the trumpet is also prophetically associated with the return of Jesus. The trump shall resound. And at that sound, we recognize the Lord is here. And fire and light. It's a glorious evidence for those who believe. It's a harrowing event for those who do not. Let's look at the first section of chapter 7 together. God's strength is perfected in our weakness. Say this, when I am weak, God is strong. Now, God is strong all the time. And actually, you and I are weak all the time in ourselves. Because on our own, we can do nothing. But if he abides in us and we abide in him, his strength is at work in our weakness. So God wants us to reject other strength because other strength becomes idolatry. Now, this doesn't mean that you don't have income. It doesn't mean that you don't wear clothes or have a roof over your head or that you don't eat food. I'm not saying that you and I have to be in some way ridiculously irrational and aesthetic, but it's recognizing what you rely upon. Where does your income come from? It's not your boss that pays you or a corporation or a company. You may say, well, it is. But yes, it's from God. 
every good thing comes from God. Your life is from God. Your health is from God. And your home is from God. Your clothes are from God. God is the source. It's him that you and I are relying upon. So he does allow us to be tested so that we can be sure and clear about where our reliance actually is. So now in this section, Gideon has encountered the Lord. He has cut down the idols. He has raised up altar to the Lord. He has called the people and assembled the people. He's gotten confirmation from God. And so early in the morning, Gideon, who's also known as Jerubbaal, that is, let Baal contend. In other words, it's putting Baal, this, this Canaanite god, false god, on notice. I'm coming after you. You're going to have to contend with me. You're going to have to fight with me, idol. But what Gideon knows is it's not I that am fighting. I am the sword of the Lord. It's the word of God in me and for me and over me and through me and with those that are with me. And so Gideon and all of his men camp at the spring of Herod. Remember, we went there. You can go to this spring in Israel. It's not a very impressive place, but it's very lovely. It's, it's a quiet spring in a green and lush place. And this is where they are going to water themselves and perhaps water their mounts. And here, as they are refreshing and preparing just to the north of where they're going to come to this uh, battle, the Lord says to Gideon, you have too many men. I can't deliver Midian into your hands or Israel's going to boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So in other words, if you're afraid, you don't have to stay. Isn't this interesting? Because remember where we first saw Gideon? Gideon was afraid. And now God is saying to him, what if Gideon said, I'm afraid? Then go home. And I'll raise up someone else. Are you ready for a victory? If you're afraid, forget it. You say, oh, but I am afraid. Well, if you're willing to admit that you're afraid and allow the Lord's courage to be in you, that's what the question is. Are you going to take courage from me? Be strong and have a good courage. Fear not, neither be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. But you've got to believe it, even when you don't feel it. If you want a victory, you've got to believe that. If you're not ready to believe that, you're not ready for a victory. 22,000 men left. It wasn't a casual thing. Hey, by the way, if anybody's kind of afraid, you can go back to the farm. It was a serious convocation. We don't want anyone with us right now who is afraid to go into this battle because we are going into it at the cost of our very lives. These weren't people that were trained to be an army. 22,000 of them thought, I don't know if I can face this. I don't know if I can do it. But that means 22,000 of them weren't ready to believe God has already given us this victory. They weren't ready to believe that the call of God was on Gideon and therefore on them. They weren't ready. They were afraid and they left. And the Lord said to Gideon, still too many. 22,000 men left. You start out with 32,000 men. There's only 10,000 men left. You know, you don't even have a third of what you began with. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you. Well, thank you, Lord. I'm so grateful that you will thin it out for me. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. Now, what does this tell us about what Gideon was doing? He was listening in this prayer. How does he even hear this? How does he know? Because he's got a close relationship with God. Because the Spirit of the Lord has anointed him. That doesn't mean that Gideon is just listening to the ether. It means that in the anointing, there is clarity and guidance. He said, well, I don't hear anything from God. Then get closer to him. Start reading his word deeper. Start listening more. Ask him to speak. Pray for the anointing. Ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Desire, need God. Because if you hunger and thirst for him, then you will find him and he will speak to you. And then you'll be ready to live in such a way that moment by moment, you're willing to listen. The Lord says to him, 
Separate the ones who lap the water with their tongue as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. So in other words, there are some that are just putting their face directly into the water and there are others that are kneeling down and using their hands. There may be something here about the readiness of the warrior. I've heard that interpretation given. But I think more than anything, it's that God is looking for the small number of people. And he's going to reveal to Gideon who that small number of faithful people is through this, this sort of obscure way of distinguishing that no one could imagine. It would only come from God. And so it was that only 300 lapped and all the rest got on their knees to drink. And the Lord said, with those 300, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. What a request. What a demand for faith. You think, that's crazy. How about if you were one of the 300 men? Um, Do we have a vote in this? I don't think I'd want to send away thousands of others. But these men believed that God would give them the victory and they were willing to follow Gideon because Gideon was anointed by Christ. They were following Christ. They were following the anointing of the Lord, and that is Christ. So Gideon followed. Gideon obeyed. And they took the provisions and the trumpets of the others. And now the camp of Midian is laying before them, and they've got a night before the battle. During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hand. If you are afraid to attack... If you are afraid. I think that's a pretty good indicator that Gideon was feeling afraid. And can you blame him? I would too. If you're feeling afraid, listen to me. Do what I tell you to do. Go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they're saying. And afterward you will be encouraged. You know what? The Lord isn't trying to make life hard for you. He's trying to make your faith strong. There are times where God will say, I want to encourage you. But you've got to be listening. In the middle of the night, you've got to be ready. And again, you've got to act. It would be a scary thing to go down close to the camp. And yet, Gideon and his servant do that. They go to the outposts. And there you have the Midianites, the Amalekites, all these other eastern peoples, thick as locusts, huge hordes of them, mighty as an army. They've got camels that can't even be counted, more than the sand on the seashore. And yet when Gideon arrives in this, in this spying mode, listening, not seen, he hears one man saying to another, I just had a dream. So it's the middle of the night. So this is all coordinated by God. And you know God does this, doesn't he? You know God does things where things intersect in such a way you go, that was God. There's just no way that that would have happened except that God arranged it. And it's a confirmation. I got a confirmation this morning from a brother who encouraged me at just the right moment, we, we, our paths crossed. And he said just the right thing that I needed to hear this morning, and that was a God thing. God does that for us. So Gideon overhears the man saying, I just had a dream and it was a nightmare. A round loaf of barley bread. Now you probably never had a dream about a round loaf of barley bread unless maybe you were fasting, I don't know. A round loaf of barley bread came rolling, tumbling into the Midianite camp and struck the tent with such force that the whole tent overturned and collapsed. And the friend has got to be, who would hear that and and give this interpretation unless God also was working through this? The friend says, that's nothing other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash. That's this Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. In other words, it's God that's doing it even in their dreams. People that are turned against you, situations that you think are impossible. You know the the story. You know the way it works. You know that there's no way we're going to get that loan. There's no way that they're going to reprieve that sentence. There's no way that that diagnosis is going to change. And God can change it in an instant. He can do things behind the scenes in dreams. People come to you and say, you know, I've never done this before, but we're going to give you a second chance. You know, I've never done this before, but we want to open the door to you. There's something about you. I've had it happen to me. I know many of you have had it happen to you. It's the victory that God wants to give you, but you've got to trust him. Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation. He bowed down and worshiped. He returned to the camp and he said, get up, wake up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. He has the faith in that moment. 
his weakness of fear given over to God become the conduit for courage that came from God to him and it comes by faith and it produces worship, the blast of the trumpet. It comes by the spirit. It empowers us. He empowers us. Gideon's courage is ignited. The, the flame of his faith is fanned as the Lord wants to fan the flame of your faith today with the prophetic power for demonstrating his might. God wants your victory to be visible to the world. He wants you to declare it, to go tell it on the mountain what God is doing and to call others into that same kind of courageous faith. Now don't check out here because I'm almost done, but there's more for us to look at together. He once again cuts down the army. Not by sending men away, but this time by dividing them. The 300 men are put into three companies. And in this way, they're going to use subterfuge and, and, and ingenuity to create the image of a greater army. Because if the Midianites knew there were only 300 of them, do you think the Midianites would be afraid? But the Midianites are afraid because the fear of the Lord is coming over them, as it should. And so these men remaining with Gideon are each given trumpets and empty jars of clay. Yes, that's where the band gets its name. Yes, there is a New Testament reference we'll see in just a moment too. But these earthen vessels are intended to be used like lanterns. Torches are placed inside so that they can be hidden, so that the light won't be seen until just the right moment because there's a victory that is going to come with the breaking of the light. And the breaking of the jars is what affords, enables the breaking of the light. Watch me, Gideon says, follow my lead. Are you ready to say that to people in your world? Paul said that, and I'm always very impressed by the Apostle Paul saying, do as I do because I'm following Christ. I'm following Christ, you can follow me. It's not Paul trying to, to, to interject himself between people and Christ, but it's Paul saying, if you have a difficult time knowing who the Lord is, look at me, I'll show you what he's like. That's a really bold thing. You might even say, well, that sounds too proud. But it isn't pride that Paul demonstrates any more than it's courage that Gideon had. It's the anointing of the Lord. We are supposed to be models of Christ to the world. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be a witness. But is it Christ that people are seeing in us? Let's hope so. We have to be watching Christ in order for Christ to be visible through us to others. Watch me, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all the ones that are with me blow our trumpets, blow the ram's horn, then all around the camp, you blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. This is an extraordinary act of humility because typically it would be for Gideon, for the general. But he's saying for the Lord Amen. and for Gideon. Gideon is the Lord's man. We're here for the Lord. So Gideon's got 100 men with him. They reach the edge of the camp just at the beginning of the middle of the watch. This is a, um, orienting us in the time of the evening. And they've just changed the guard. They blow their trumpets. They break the jars that are in their hands. And there is a prophetic witness that is begun with that that then follows around the camp as each one of these sub-battalions follows in suit. And all of a sudden, all the Midianites are surrounded by the, the blast of an army of trumpets and all these torches and lights. If we can see these 300 all around us, how many thousands have totally encircled us is what they are thinking. But actually, what they've been totally encircled by is the Spirit of the Lord. And that's the greatest victory of all. God's Son reveals our illuminating work. This light shining out of them is the light of the Lord, and that is Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world, and he wants you to be the light of the world. Not to be under a bushel, but to be shining like a lamp on a hill, revealing the light of his truth into a darkened world around us. And some people will be scared, but some people will be saved. And that's the goal, that the goodness of the gospel of God would be revealed and that the enemies of the Lord, spiritual forces and powers encamped in our world would be brought down by the power of the Spirit at work through you and I. This is the concluding section. The, all three companies blow their trumpets. They smash their jars and their torches are lit and they shout a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. They are ready for victory and victory is at hand. 
And so then the 300 trumpets sounding, the Lord causes all the men in the camp to turn on each other. There's pandemonium in the enemy camp. They start fighting each other because they think in the dark, these must be Israelites. If there's that many up on the hills, they're already down. They wouldn't reveal themselves unless they were already on us. And so they start fighting each other in the confusion and chaos that is always the result of idolatry. And you can see it in our land today. People who should be united are divided. 20 years ago yesterday, we had that horrific event of such devastating tragedy. But one thing that came out of it was a strong sense of unity. But where has it gone? It's gone over to the idolatry of confusion and the chaos that comes with it. If we would return to the Lord, the Lord would unite us. But apart from God, we will not be united. We can never be united without God. One nation under God, indivisible. Yes, I know that's a late addition to our national liturgy. It is the original idea that this nation was founded upon. And without it, the nation shall falter and fall. It would be a tragedy if it does. But without God, of what use is this nation? But with God, this nation could be a city on a hill. So let you and I be of the 300. Let us be of the faithful who would allow our lives to be broken in order for the light of the Lord to be seen. And so there's chaos in the camp, but there's victory among the Israelites. They capture the Midianite leaders and they come to a very dire end. And you know where they do? They come to a dire end at a wine press. The very place where Gideon was first found. Not necessarily the same wine press, but the same kind of place. In other words, the fear that had once been Gideon's has become his enemies. And the victory that they once enjoyed has become his because of God. So, in conclusion, I want us to consider some things as we come before the Lord at this time. The tests that God has allowed in your life, maybe even in this very moment, something that you're facing. The question to ask is, why is God allowing this? And how does he want to use it to refine and enhance my faith, my character, my trust in him? Where am I relying on a strength that isn't from God? Where am I puffing myself up where I should be bowing myself down? Where am I trying to lay hold of something that I think I need instead of giving everything over to God? Let whatever test you're in teach you to trust in God. And God in you will reveal himself. Where does God want you to proclaim his name to the world around you today? Where's the trumpet blast of your life supposed to be singing forth? What's the moment when Jesus says to you, follow me and now, now is the time to speak. Maybe it's in the middle of a meeting. Maybe it's in the middle of a lunch with a friend. Maybe it's at the store or on the street. Maybe it's in the middle of a phone call. And the Lord just puts it in your heart. But there's a fear there. Can I talk about Jesus right now? Is that, is that going to be okay? But if it's from the Lord, then no matter what else might be broken, let it ring out. Speak for the Lord. Not in a way that's disrespectful of others or the current situation, but in a way which is responsive to God. Whatever he gives you to say, whatever he gives you to do, be a witness for him. And if there's something of your flesh that's getting in the way, then break it. If it's your right arm that's causing you to sin, cut it off. I don't mean literally. You know what Jesus means. He's saying nothing is more important than your righteousness in me. So don't let your right arm or your right eye or your right hand man or whatever it is, your rights and privileges, get in the way of depending on me. Crucify your flesh. 
What desires get between you and God? Get rid of them. And if you can't, ask God to get rid of them. What goals or plans were born out of you but not from Him? Bring them to Him. Say, wash these, Lord. If they're really of you, then they'll stay. But if they're not of you, let them go, just like the troops that left Gideon. Because I don't need them. I don't want that. I want you and your truth to shine through me. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and said, the God of this world, which is Satan, the God of all idolatry, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord. And we are servants for Jesus' sake. And God, who said at the very beginning, let light shine out of the darkness, is the very one who is shining in our hearts, on the inside of us, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And then Paul says, almost certainly thinking of the story of Gideon's conquest, we have this treasure in jars of clay, in earthen vessels, in our human weakness, so that the surpassing greatness of this victory, the conquest of Christ, the victory of God, the power will be clearly, evidently, utterly of God and not of ourselves. Because he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in your weakness. My holiness is revealed in your brokenness. So let the world know how broken you are. Let the world see how needy you are. Let the world know how saved you are, how confident you are, how courageous you are in Christ, because it's Christ in you that is the work of God and the glory of God and the power of God that will give you the victory. It's time for a victory. Hallelujah, Lord. We thank you that you call to us even in our weakness and fear. And we turn to you once again today and say, Lord, we ask that you would make us more than conquerors. And in fact, Lord, we proclaim that if we belong to you, we are more than conquerors. So I pray right now, Lord, that anyone that has not given themselves to you would give themselves to you right now, Lord. Holy, completely, totally, that they would say, Lord Jesus Christ, you are my Savior. Forgive me my sins and teach me to walk by your Spirit. Fill me with your Spirit and fill me with your Word. Make me a sword of the Lord for cutting down spiritual strongholds and freeing people. Use me, use us, Lord for your glory and for your purposes. And if that's your prayer today, then share this amen with me. Amen.